Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. I'm going to start out with a segment that I missed from last week, which is super embarrassing because I'm really excited about this. I am very excited to announce that I will be joining Retronauts for a live panel at PAX East just over two weeks from now. It's Saturday, February 29th from 7 to 8 p.m. in the Bumblebee Theater. Um, And it's just, it's so cool that I get to be a part of this. I'm so grateful for it. Um, You know, I've been a fan of the podcast since I was first told about it a while back, and I got to know Jeremy and Benj a little bit. So it's going to be really amazing for me to be part of this. I'm just so excited and so appreciative of all of it. Um, And I'm really excited to hang out at PAX as well. I've never been to PAX before. I got a four-day pass, so I'll probably be there later on Thursday and then leave earlier on Sunday. Uh, But I'll try to be there for as much of it as I can. And I really want to meet as many of you as I can, because I always have such an unbelievably good time at these things. It's just, you know, I know I sound like a broken record, and I'm sorry if I'm annoying about this stuff, but there's so much positivity and so much awesomeness at all of these expos and all of the local events I go to, too. You know, even the, the New York fighting scene events, if you walk in, like, sometimes you get that feeling like, oh, are things about to pop off? And you realize, like, yes, there's some awesome matches going on, and you know, there's a really cool like uh, final happening right now, and it's it's all the it's all the best of positivity with all the right kind of tension. I love that stuff. It's just everybody's you know, it's just a bunch of happy filled with video games and video game related people. This is the best way to describe it. So, if you're going to be there, uh, please look for me. If you see me, please come over and say hi. I really do love meeting everybody. Um, and you know, if you've never been to one of these live events before, I I can only imagine what you might. Uh, think goes on, especially if you're somebody that that is social online and participates in comments and in online communities and stuff, because comments get toxic so quickly and there's so much drama and lies and rivalries and it's not like that at all in person. These things draw the exact opposite of the troll crowd. So I just really want to reassure everybody that, you know, while I can't predict the future, every one of these things I've been to has been just a, a wonderful, uplifting experience. Everybody seems to always have fun. You get to see new stuff, buy a bunch of stuff that you've always wanted that, you know, you probably don't need. But here, look, it's, you know, I just found it here. I never saw it before. That's certainly what I do. I made a couple, um, like, I'm definitely only going to spend X amount at these. And then I'll run into something that I've always wanted. And it's usually three times the price. And there's a good deal on it. So I don't know. I'll stop rambling. I just am very excited to be a part of something that Retronauts is doing. I'm being excited to go back to all of the the trade shows and the expos this year. I haven't scheduled anything else for 2020, but I hope to because I really do enjoy these live events so much and I really like uh, meeting all of you. So please come and find me at PAX. I'll try to be there as much as I can. An English translation of the Saturn version of Grandia is still underway. Samson 7.1 posted a really awesome and very detailed update of what's going on in the project, as well as something I'll talk about in a minute, but there's no way this segment could do this post justice, so if you're really into Grandia for Saturn, please read this one. I think you'll really appreciate it. I'll give everybody the short, short version now, though. Um, The translation's still in progress, but it's moving along well. There's a few more bumps in the road, like trying to figure out how to get the final FMV stuff translated translated. And then, of course, after the final translation, there's always going to be touch-ups and things. And um, there's usually 
a uh, really healthy and good debate about things like slang and different terms to use. And this is something that always fascinated me from a language basis, because if you translate wrong, it can totally ruin the meaning. And my, my favorite example somebody used to me years ago was like if I was just talking to a friend of mine and I was like, hey, dude, chill out. And that was translated wrong. It would say Bob told his friend to be cold. So it's one of those things like I, I really appreciate and love stuff like this. And, you know, it, it's just really amazing to see teams of people getting together uh, to really make this stuff happen. Um, the other very impressive thing is somebody is doing artwork that's not just a box art, but it's coming with a bonus map and poster. So if you buy this aftermarket case and stuff like that, you're going to end up with stuff that's really just, I mean, it's going to feel like a, a brand new factory box set of things. And I just, I, I really appreciate all the work that goes into that. And I appreciate how it really feels like an original thing. And uh, my personal opinion on this, I know this is obviously debatable and stuff like that, but when people sell blatant repros on eBay for a lot of money, I, I feel like that's misleading and not often a positive thing. But when people sell repros in a way where... It's, you know, they advertise, this is a repro, you know, here's, we're, we're making these because it was an English translation of a Japanese game. Um, yes, they're CDRs, but I'll mail them blank. So you have to burn your own, whatever it might be. Like there are ways to do this that I really think is a cool and a positive thing. You know, there's always the debate that you're using other people's intellectual property. You know, are you taking money from anybody? But I think generally speaking in the retro gaming world, at least now, you know, now that it's still just big and not massive, I think things like this are usually just celebrations of the original and do nothing but serve to promote that original game and you know kind of make people more excited about this stuff so i'm always willing to be wrong about things like that i, I know that's that's definitely a gray area because no matter what the intentions it's still using you know even just the sega saturn logo is technically not something people should use it's just one of those things where no one goes after you if it's usually positivity and not taking money from anybody so i'm a fan of it i personally still like it i'm totally okay if that you know, if the consensus is that that's not cool, but for if nothing else, you know, I, I just appreciate the work that goes into the into the authenticity of it. You know, it really feels like you're getting something new. So, you know, always interested in hearing people's opinions on stuff like this. Um, I might not always agree. I might not change my opinion to yours just because you told me another opinion, but I do love reading them. So, uh, yeah, if you, anybody wants to debate the whole repro thing in this scenario, I'm, I, it's, I always learn something new. But either way, thank you to Samson 7.1 for writing this up. And definitely, if you're a Grandia fan, to check out the post and check out the pictures. The Koryu Transcoder is now available for sale from Video Game Perfection. And for anybody unaware, this is a device that takes composite and S-video signals and converts them to component video. And no, it won't translate the signal to something of the quality of component video. This device is designed for things just like compatibility. Um, you could have a situation like I just ran into the other day where I wanted to put composite video into my BVM, but one of my monitors only has an input card that does composite component or RGB. So this would be a perfect device. And at $95, give or take with shipping and everything like that, um, this device is actually cheaper than most input boards. Uh, I've yet to test it. Mine is en route to me, but as long as it doesn't take away from the signal, and it's the exact same that you would see as composite in S-Video, this should be a really great device. This is, of course, also a device that allows you to add those inputs to the OSSC, 
Uh, and because it's outputting component video, you could even get the low-pass filters of the OSSC in there as well. Um, the only things that I'm really curious to see is does it perform better, worse, or the same as something like the RetroTINK 2X or 2X Pro that has a converter hooked up to it? Because that's a scenario I've used all the time where you take the HDMI output of the TINK, put it into an HDMI to component converter, make sure it's got one of the ones with the, the good chips in it, and you get a very, really high quality output signal pretty much. So, uh, you know, with the advantages of the TINK, you could either change it to 480p you could have it pass through the original signal you know and all of those things so i'm really interested to see how they hold up uh, even if they're absolutely identical to each other there's still a scenario in which the core you might be better because you could just skip one extra part um, so I, as always i'm thrilled when there's choices i love when there's holes in the market filled and while i don't think this is a device that every gamer that's ever lived needs to buy it's one that if you need it the moment I said the Core U transcoder, if you listen to the podcast, you probably already jumped on the website and ordered it. So uh, just wanted to be thorough to keep everybody else in the loop and add perspective. But yeah, it's a, a niche device that definitely serves a great purpose. So I'll put it through its paces when it arrives. Uh, and either way, if you're interested, um, order yours right now. Analog has just selling their cartridge adapters for the Mega SG that allow Game Gear carts, Sega My Cards, and Mark III or SG-1000 cartridges to be used through the Mega SG. Um, I ordered these. Uh, they came out to about 70, including shipping, um, which means if you're closer to wherever they ship from, it should be a little less. If you're in Australia, it's probably more than a car. But either way, they're uh, devices that will come in handy if you really want to use original carts. Now, I will test them as soon as I get them here, but I think that the MyCard adapter and the SG-1000 adapter um, could potentially work in an original Genesis console as well. Definitely not the Game Gear one. Um, but even if they don't, it's still, you know, their device is designed to use these carts on your analog Mega, uh, Mega SG. And I'm sure they'll work fine. Uh, I'm just, you know, I want to give it a try myself, see what other uses I have for them. But as weird as this sounds, as much as I love using ROM carts, as much as I predominantly use ROM carts, there are times where it just feels different using my original cartridge. And I know it's psychological. I know there's zero difference to it. But, you know, that's where nostalgia comes into play for me. The games themselves and gaming on a good quality CRT is just how I prefer to play the games and some of the games I prefer to play. There's no nostalgia in there usually at all. But if I feel the need to take out a cartridge, then usually it's that's the part of it that I want to... Or, or experiencing something that I've never experienced before. You know, I didn't have an SG-1000 growing up. I just had a, a basic master system, so it'd be kind of neat to to use those carts that I've collected over the years. But anyway, pretty neat devices. I'm glad they got these out. Definitely better late than never. Uh, and that's two for analog this week. That's uh, in the same week, they released the pre-orders for the DAC and the mega SG cartridge adapters. So they're really moving. Hopefully that means the uh, analog pocket will be coming sooner rather than later. The Neo BIOS Master VMCs are back in stock, and this is a pretty interesting device that I didn't even really understand fully until just recently. So I'll give everybody a quick rundown in case you're unaware. But these are devices designed for MVS motherboards, so the Neo Geo arcade boards. And they originally started out as just a much easier way to interface a Unibios chip onto it. So unlike other revisions or other BIOSes for other types of uh, consoles, you don't just replace the chip 
you have to adapt a larger chip to a smaller footprint. And for a while there, that meant soldering like 50 pins individually to the outsides of a different chip. So it, it was not a clean installation at all. And this device allows you to basically just slot over the 6800 or 68K chip that's there and then put a BIOS chip in there and that's it. You just have to disable the onboard BIOS and it takes care of everything for you. So the original board is totally awesome for people that just want a very, a much easier way. I don't want to say very easy because you still have to lift some pins and Neo Geo motherboards can be iffy with that, but a much easier way to add a Unibios. But the BIOS Master VMC adds a second feature on top of it. That allows you to have your save game files stored right on the chip that's there. And it's pretty interesting for later model Neo Geo motherboards because they don't have an easy way to add memory card support. Um, so because I'm weird, I would prefer just having you know a standard memory card. Actually, the, the same ones that uh, the Brian also sells, the cards that I talked about a while back, um, because I just think it's neat to have a device that has everything on there. But your only other choice with those are to hand wire an adapter, which probably would take forever, um, or to use something like this. Now, one thing that I didn't realize up until now is due to the way that the MVS creates their saves, it's not like an AES. The home versions of the Neo Geo can have all of your save games stored on a ROM cart. So if you have the Neo SD or the Darksoft cart, um, you could have your save games there and not worry about this at all. But on an MVS, due to a very complicated explanation that's a little bit over my head, that's not how it works. And you'd have to interface with something like this. So this is the, um, the easiest solution by far at the moment to get saves on an MVS that didn't normally support the card slots. Uh, the, you know, the MV1B and Cs are usually the ones people tend to consoleize. So this is generally going to be used towards those. It's a pretty decent compatibility list, though. It also is compatible with the MV1A and the MV1FC. Um, the only question I have about this, which I will find out by, by this time next week, is do you require the Unibios in order to have this product work? Can you just drop it over the 68K and not add one? And I'm going to try it and find out anyway. And I imagine a lot of people might be like, why wouldn't you want the Unibios? It's amazing. Uh, the only reason I wouldn't want it is because I predominantly use ROM carts in my Neo Geo setup. And every other feature except saving that I personally use is something that's already a part of these ROM carts. Um, there, you know, in-game pause is probably the only one that I would really appreciate that, uh, that the Unibios has. But overall, I just, you know, I don't use those features. But for me personally, I use some of the settings on the ROM cart. Now, I'm sure there's a bunch of Neo Geo gamers that are rolling their eyes at me right now going, but what about this? What about that? I just mean the way I play Neo Geo games. There is no right or wrong way. You know, I just suggest as a, you know, as a basic rule, if you use original carts, the Unibios is definitely the way to go. If you use predominantly ROM carts or multi-carts, and be careful because some of those out there are still really dangerous, the Neo Geo-like X-in-one multi-carts, some of them I've seen recently even were pretty bad, but even those have issues with the Unibios, and it's not a problem with the Unibios, it's a problem with those 161 and one carts. So uh, as far as I know, there aren't problems at all with Unibios in the regular ROM carts, the quality ones. It's just 
you know, redundant in some cases. So uh, I guess back back to what I, I probably should have just said if you already know what this is. Uh, Neos Bios Masters are back in stock. Uh, they're fairly priced. I think they're 40 something dollars. Um, and uh, they're used for having virtual memory saves as well as adding the Unibios to a bunch of different MVS motherboard revisions. Dan and Kristoff have just shown captures of their PS1 HDMI solution, and it's looking pretty awesome. For anybody unaware, this is a digital-to-digital internal HDMI mod for the PlayStation 1 that allows for all of the original resolutions to be output um, up to, I believe, up to 960p and then 1080p in a window. And they're looking to add a bunch of cool features, including smoothing filters such as HQ2X and possibly even HQ4X. And that's one of those things where, you know, it's all preference, but my personal opinion is that on 2D games, they look terrible, and on 3D games, those filters look awesome, in most cases. So, you know, it's uh, very cool to see the progress of this start to progress. Um, They're also working on different de-interlacing methods, such as motion adaptive. Um, Weave interlaced modes are shown in this current video. Uh, I'm also really interested to see how it handles resolution switches. That's the number one complaint and problem I hear from streamers all the time, uh, as well as just people that want to play on flat screens and have to go into menus, and every time they enter a menu, their TV has to switch a resolution. So, uh, exciting project. Um, you know, They're going to finish this one up, make sure that that one's worked out, and then uh, switch to PS2. So very exciting for the PlayStation world for people that want HDMI output. And also, uh, I I don't remember if I mentioned this last time, but I believe in the progress of this project, installing this could also potentially add PS Knee support, which is uh, basically like mod chip support as well. So installing this would be a really feature-packed thing, and uh, I'm excited to try it out. So I'll keep everybody updated when there's major progress, and hopefully I'll get one to try and really put it through its paces. Last week, Smoke Monster posted an article about how to add a reverse polarity protection diode to an Atari Jaguar to prevent people from plugging in the wrong PSU and killing the Jaguar. Um, This week, he followed up with a same type of guide on how to add the same protection to a Jaguar CD, but it is a bit more complex. Last week, the original Jaguar article said to just remove one leg of one component and add a diode in line with that, and that's pretty much it, whereas this one involves cutting a trace. Now, I believe Smoke Monster had some trouble with this CD unit to begin with, so it could have possibly been caused by using the wrong power supply at one point. And in my opinion, um, stuff like this, if you're a strict collector and your Jaguar CD is working fine and you're using the original power supply, it's not really something you have to worry about. But if you're going in and doing something like a cap replacement anyway or any other kind of repair or maintenance, it might be a good idea just to throw one of these on just in case. Because you never know, you know, you could be moving components around, you grab the wrong thing, you plug it in, and now it's going to be a a more costly and time-consuming fix to the Jaguar CD in order to get it done. So, you know, not not an extreme necessity, but I'm really glad this was documented. So thanks so much to Smoke Monster for doing this. Um, And all of these cool little documentations will have a great home on the wiki when that opens fairly soon. Pre-orders for the GC Loader Optical Drive Emulator are reopening tomorrow, Thursday, February 13th at 10 a.m. Eastern Time on both Dan's store and a Europe-based store to hopefully get a lot more people um, the opportunity to purchase one of these. 
These will all be the plug-and-play version I talked about recently, which means there's no soldering at all involved. All you have to do is unbolt your GameCube, which there's a ton of bolts, so it's going to be a while, but unbolt everything, uh, un remove the CD-ROM drive, put this in its place, bolt everything back together. Um, so that's, I mean, anytime you don't even have to solder something, it's totally awesome. It's a complete no-cut mod. Um, everything works great, and I've tried it out, and it works well, and it works fast too so i um you know i i kind of wasn't sure if i needed one because my predominant use of gamecube is for the Game Boy interface software but i occasionally do play originals on that and not on my wii and in this case you know i just it loads fast it's easy to get to and i even have the 3d print tray from uh, greg from laser bear so it has the sd extension so that you could uh, you could just flip the top open and it's right there. You don't have to reach your hand in. So I think all are absolutely awesome. Uh, definitely check out this post as well as the other one that includes everything that you'd need to know. And if you're looking for one of these and you don't get it Thursday, there will be continuous pre-orders just like Dan's done with the DC HDMI, um, but there will be a cutoff. So, you know, X amount of units are available Thursday. When those sell out, it's cut off. Get those shipped. Open up another set of pre-orders. And, you know, Dan's always done a really great job making as many of these things as available as possible. And it's just, you know, it's my opinion that we have to remember that small projects like this for, for niche markets can't be treated like something like... Apple or Samsung would do. You can't just roll out 10,000 of these things, you know, hope everybody could buy them and then somehow be able to ship and support 10,000 all at once. So the fact that um, that it's done in batches like this, but continuous batches, meaning eventually everybody that wants one will get one. Um, and, you know, you're not going to have to wait years like certain other products that a lot of us have been waiting for. Uh, but, you know, it is still going to be a pre-order wait type of situation. So I think it's totally fair and awesome that we have access to all this stuff now. But um, if you're really itching to get yours Thursday, 10 a.m. Eastern Time. I've been getting a lot of questions on Twitter and in the YouTube comments recently about how the analog DAC might work with multiple analog consoles or how the analog console would work with multiple targets. And I wanted to put it to the test, so I tested it in a few different scenarios. Um, first, if you have one console like the Mega SG and you're trying to use it on both a flat screen and through the DAC into like an RGB monitor or regular CRT, a mechanical switch would work perfect for that. Uh, mechanical switches are essentially the same as unplugging and replugging an HDMI cable, and I found no trouble at all as long as you left the console off when switching, because as the console boots, that's when it kind of detects the signal. Um, I haven't, I didn't really get a chance for uh, matrix switches or dual output HDMI switch testings, but I don't think it would work very well in most cases. But if that's your target with an, uh, a mechanical switch, awesome. The opposite, though, if you have a bunch of analog consoles, so at the moment it's only the Mega SG and the Super NT, but I have a feeling they'll be coming out with a few more soon, um, and hopefully all of them will be compatible with the DAC. And if that's the scenario, there are at least one or two switches out there that will totally do that. So you plug all your analog consoles into the switch, and then you plug that output into the DAC, and that way in a scenario that you're only using them with the DAC, uh, you could just press a button to switch between. And what I found pretty interesting about that, whether you're using a mechanical or a standard digital switch, 
as long as you boot the console connected to the DAC, so set it to the correct input, you could switch between them. Now, HDMI switching should be fine. It shouldn't hurt anything like that. You know, I wouldn't do that all the time just because I like to be cautious in situations like that. But I thought that was pretty neat. Other people had tested this, shout out to Dirk Swizzler, um, and found that some switches didn't work at all for him. Some did. So the only thing I wasn't able to test is matrix switchers, a bunch of ins to a bunch of outs. Uh, there's got to be one out there that works, but who knows how expensive it'll be. But at least there's some pretty cool options. The only thing you can't do is get dual output through both the DAC and something else. So, of course, if you go into the DAC into a GSCART with two outputs, one into an OSSC, one into your console or to your uh, CRT, that obviously will work. I'm just simply talking about you can't split the output of, say, the Super NT and have one go to a capture card and the other go to the DAC. Um, it doesn't really work that way, and I'm pretty sure that's just the way all of these signals work anyway. So if you'd like to see all of that stuff demoed, as well as uh, showing 32x and some other neat stuff, uh, please check out the video. It's much shorter than usual because I just wanted to get this info out. And I, I redid this one f five times because every time I thought I was done, I, I tweaked a different scenario, and something I said I thought might not work did work. So to me, that means I'm still missing something. So uh, please let me know what I missed in the comments. If it requires a follow-up video, I'm totally in. At the very least, though, the very basics should be answered there, and hopefully I made it look pretty, too, or something. Oh, and uh, there's music in there from somebody named Fark, and I have had one of these songs stuck in my head since the moment I started working on this. Absolutely killer music. I used it with permission, of course, as a musician or wannabe musician myself. I always am very respectful of that. I don't want to just take people's music and use it. Uh, I got permission to use it, and I think I'm going to be using almost every one of, of Fark's songs at one point in my <laughs> in my videos because I really dig them. So, uh, you know, that's a request I've gotten for a long time. People kept saying, you need music in your videos, you know, you know make it space it out make it sound better so hopefully people like it if you'd like me to go back to just me with uh, the screams and sirens in new york in the background no problem but sometimes i like the music sometimes i don't think it adds anything you know i think it's just more annoying but i really just want to do what all of you would like me to do including hit the microphone while i'm talking what an idiot anyway <laughs> check out the video if you're interested well, that's it for this week. As always, thank you so much to everybody that watches and listens these, to everybody that participates in some very awesome discussions in the comments, and especially thank you to everybody that supports on places like Floatplane and Patreon, because without you, none of these weekly videos, as well as any of the behind-the-scenes research, any of the other projects, or any of the other weirdness I'm involved in would ever get done without your help. So thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.